Okay. So, we have had quite a number of people asking us to do podcasts that help them to understand how to incorporate physiology into their job. And you and I have been always saying that we find it really interesting that it's possible, well, two things. One is, it's possible to do, um, to say that you've been working with swallowing impairments for maybe 50% or more of the patients you see for let's say at least five years or more and not know how to just describe simple parts of the swallow. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that someone might be doing that, so five years in, 50% of the patients they see at least have swallowing problems, maybe they're in a sniff, and they actually haven't seen a swallow in five years because they're at the bedside. Right? And right. really think about what that is. You've actually never seen a swallow in five years because you don't have access to imaging, but right. that's what you say you treat. Yep. Can you imagine a PT saying, I've not seen walking in five years, <laughs> but um, I believe that in that room behind the door, they're actually walking, and I'd like to make some comments but on I it. But I have heard footsteps that's right. for years, and, and I've I heard know thud sounds, thud sounds suggesting falls. Yep. So I want 80% or less of the time for there to be thud sounds. Yes. Um, like... That's what we do with coughs. We count failures. So how do we get past this? How do we take each swallowing event and we move through them, um, or even the before swallowing things like bolus formation, just oral preparatory? What we want to do is we want to go through each of those. So mm-hmm. a podcast will be dedicated to each of them and talk about which type of technique can actually be used to assess that right? So if we start with oral preparation, then we move to the oral phase, also known as lingual propulsion or base of tongue retraction. We have velar elevation, pharyngeal constriction, laryngovestibular closure, UAS opening. Going through each of those events and talking about clinical bedside versus fees versus fluoro and even manometry, whatever is needed to get a sense of what can we actually comment on, what can't we comment on? Because this seems to be the biggest issue saying someone made a comment about lingual so-and-so, but it was this kind of technique. Can they do that? Right. Okay. And I think it's important to sort out semantics in, in how we describe physiology. I also think, you know, taken from your course when you teach dysphagia, something that I know that you have emphasized recently is just being able to talk about physiology in these events in a way that is very clear and concise Mm -hmm. and um, is understandable to other medical professionals, other speech pathologists. Um, And I guess it's maybe just a pet peeve of mine when I hear medical professionals in general saying things like, well, and then the tongue went back and then the bolus went went down yeah and this thing and that thing like moved upwards and they're using their hand motions you can't see my hands but um i think that us talking about physiology Mm -hmm. also um it's helpful for other people just to hear what's how should we be talking about these events yes and incorporating physiology into your description is everything So a good example is in several of the CEU courses that I've been to that you were alluding to, um, somebody might raise their hand and say, so um, with swallow onset delay, blah, blah, blah. And just to make sure we're on the same page, I'll say, wait, how do you, can you tell me how you define swallow onset delay? And they'll like, well, it's when the bolus goes in, but the swallow's late. Okay. 
How do you define yeah. late? The bolus goes in where? How did the bolus get there? Was it because the tongue pushed it there? Or was it because it just trickled in before the tongue went in there? What is the marker that's defining swallow trigger? Is it hyoid burst? Mm -hmm. So how do we put that into language that both our documentation and our conversation with speech pathologists, parents, um, spouses, or just whoever the caregiver is, the patient, other medical professionals can take in it's useful, it's enough, but it's not too much. It's right. descriptive. Importantly, those reports that don't have any information, it's not a good thing. Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, uh, way back we did a podcast on report writing. And mm -hmm. in a way, this sort of complements that in yeah. the sense of you can be the best clinician in the world and be a very astute diagnostician and, and understand physiology. But if you can't write about it, and describe it on paper, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Nobody's matter. gonna understand. And that's the thing that follows them into eternity, the documentation, not what you said in the hallway to them, right. or what you know in your head to be true. And oh, by the way, at the end of the Normal Swallowing 101 course, we go through a case that, two cases that were eh, potentially mismanaged. And throughout that course, every time I give those lectures, I get and someone raise their hand, someone well-meaning who says, but could it be that the speech pathologist actually did see that in their floral? And I'm like, it could be, but until I get to decide how I'm going to judge anybody, I have the right to judge it any way I want to because you never told me what happened. Right. So when I could give them the benefit of the doubt, but I also have the right to not give them the benefit of the right. doubt because it's vague. If you don't give me any physiology, I or you just say we're going to apply this treatment and there's no rationale for it, I reserve every right to judge you in either way. I could give right. you the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, <laughs> well, he must have meant this. Right. Or I could say there's no information here. I have no clue if they even noticed this. Right. You know, the interesting thing is on the Facebook forums, which I know probably most people listening are participate in, anytime there's a case or talking about physiology or something in a fluoro, I feel like it always takes like 30 comments to just everybody to agree on the terminology. Yeah, to calibrate like, each so other. So when you say delay, do you mean this? And when you're talking about premature yeah. spillage, what are you looking for? And can you define what you mean by X, Y, Z? And I feel like it gets so convoluted in the semantics that we yeah. can't even talk about actual physiology. So yeah. I hope that this podcast is helpful for people listening to as we walk through different stages of the swallow to really listen to how physiology is described mm -hmm. and maybe help clarify some of those terms that are a little more ambiguous. Right. So let's start today with the period when you put the bolus in your mouth, but you have not propelled it into the pharynx. And if you're going with the phases that Logaman lays out in our books, we're talking mm -hmm. about oral preparation. Um, some people call it um, oral mass. Some people call it mastication. Some people call it bolus formation. But or overall, um, it is preparation of the bolus either to make it swallowable or it's already in a swallowable form just like a liquid, but just needs to be gathered into position so that it can be sort of pushed appropriately into the pharynx through lingual propulsion, mm -hmm. right? So again, it's the period when you first put the bolus in your mouth <coughs> until you are ready to propel it back for to initiate a swallow. Right. right? This is the most volitional aspect of the swallow. Exactly. So how do we define volitional? Let's talk about that really quickly. Yeah, so volitional, we're really talking about the... And wait, you said volitional aspect of the swallow. I don't think it's part of the swallow because when you chew gum... Oh, that's an that's a interesting debate. Yes. Okay. So when you're chewing gum, mm -hmm. 
are you might be swallowing saliva, but you have no intent to swallow that gum, and you right. are preparing the crap out of the gum. You're literally chewing the cud for however long you have that gum in your mouth. It's mm-hmm. purely volitional, and there's no plan to swallow. You're not making it swallowable. Right. So I'm not convinced that it has anything to do with a pharyngeal swallow, but it sure is part of the oral pharyngeal process. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and this is the aspect where um, there's heavy cortical involvement in deciding and thinking about chewing and evaluating the sensory aspects of the bolus. And I think that we should definitely talk a lot about sensation because of course. this is really, you know, I would argue the most important aspect of the oral phase is gathering all the sensory information to right. modulate the pharyngeal swallow. So um, tell me, define volitional. Volitional would be, um, ooh, how would we define this? So it's so it doesn't require a stimulus to start it like a reflex does right doesn't require sensory stimulus what does that mean that means you could pretend to chew air like they do in hollywood right you're there's no actual bolus there there's nothing to chew you could even chew things that don't make sense you could technically chew water you that would be weird but you Mm -hmm. could you could just pretend some things in your mouth you can go through those movements and you don't need a stimulus to initiate a stereotypical sequence (coughs) of events Mm -hmm. and the events that happen are interruptible and modifiable at will meaning unlike a sneeze if you go to sneeze you can't be like well i just want to use a little bit of my diaphragm this time and my intercostals i'm just going to turn them off for this for when i you know for the respiratory part of it and i'm not going to pull my velum up this time when i sneeze you don't have the control over stopping it modifying it as well as you do with volitional movements it's also more cortically regulated as well and i like the example that you give about um, comparing it to blinks how you can make a conscious decision to blink your eyes which is volitional you make that choice or you could have a reflexive blink where somebody's poking you in the eye and it's something that you can't control or in the middle you have spontaneous blinks that we do all the time to prevent corneal dryness Mm -hmm. right so the thing is with oral preparation there's no reflexive i'm just going to start chewing right Right. i I can't stop the chewing i mean it is a little bit of a continuum in that it's volitional but it's not like we have to be conscious of every single chew and say chew again, bite down, bite down, bite down, move it to the left, move it to the right. There is a level of, not that it's reflexive, Mm -hmm. but there are different levels of heightened cortical awareness of what's happening. There's levels of control, right? So it's not like you're going to throw a dart where you have to put all your thought into it, Mm -hmm. right? It's not a background. It can't, it is a background activity just like walking, which is why it's in, it's an insult to tell someone you're so dumb, you can't walk and chew gum. Yeah. Right. Because it's like those should be able to be background activities and you should be able to have a conversation or think about something when that's happening. So some people think of those as uh, uh, spontaneous or stereotypical background events. It does have a central pattern generator for Mm -hmm. mastication. Right. Meaning that there is a part of your brain, a network of of. of parts of your brain in this in this case I'm just gonna say the cortex instead of getting too deep where they regulate a rhythmic movement in the absence of some kind of rhythmic input so you don't have to have sort of this stimulus that's happening rhythmically for you to have a rhythmic motor output which is what chewing is it is stereotypical and rhythmic in nature I think of chewing more like walking yeah it's the same way where you know you can be very unaware you know just walking along and, and it's volitional but you maybe step on a piece of uneven ground and now all of a sudden you're very more, you know, you're more conscious of of what you're doing and how you're stepping sort of like, I mean, everyone's been in the situation where you, 
you bite into a, a chocolate and you didn't realize there was nuts in the middle. And now all of a sudden you're very cognitively aware of how you're chewing and what's in your mouth mm-hmm. and, and maybe modifying that pattern a little bit. Right. Um, or you bite it into it and it's like a liqueur center and you're like, right. oh, I made too much force, yeah. but now I'm going to enjoy some liquor. That's mm-hmm. kind of nice, right? Um, so yeah, so those are all important parts. It's more of on the volitional end. And let's talk, let's go through motor first yeah. and let's go through sensory second. So overall, <coughs> we would agree that the goal of oral preparation is to make a bolus swallowable in terms mm-hmm. of just the basic function or if a, swal- a bolus is already swallowable to make sure it's in the right position to be propelled back mm-hmm. properly. Right. It's also to savor the bolus, yep. right? Um, if it's a good thing, you want to eat it, then you do that. If it's just like a vitamin or something, you just got to get it in the right spot, that's still preparation where you're trying to get it to the spot of your tongue where it'll go back in one swallow. Yeah. All of that's preparation. Yes. And I would say too, you know, you, you talked about m- modifying the bolus in a way that's ready to be swallow- swallowable. Mm-hmm. A big component of that is maintaining it in the oral cavity until it's ready for that propulsion. So making sure with liquid that it's staying in the oral cavity, that it's not spilling back um, too soon or when it's not ready. And I think that's something that we'll touch upon later. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a very key aspect of, um, of the oral phase. So things that we can talk about as speech pathologists, as clinicians that evaluate swallowing, what are some components that we talk about? Well, the first thing I think of is lip closure. So making sure that there is an anterior loss of the bolus. Mm -hmm. Um, And even that lip closure is variable depending on the bolus because we can Mm -hmm. talk and chew at the same Mm -hmm. time with something that's not going to fall out. But you just took a sip of water Mm -hmm. and until you get that back, you're not going to talk with all this water gushing in the front of your mouth because you know it's going to spill. So it's not necessarily the case that lip closure has to be something where it's Mm -hmm. like every time I put a bolus bolus in my mouth, I must close my mouth completely and seal it off, right? Right. Um, So, but yes, lip closure in general is something to keep it to keep the bolus inside of your mouth, as well as receiving, opening your jaw appropriately, receiving the bolus on the tongue. We do know that your tongue position is gonna vary depending on what you're putting in there. If you have a spoon and you're putting ice cream in there, then you're probably gonna stick your tongue out a little bit more than if you're gonna pour water in, where you're gonna protect perhaps the back of your throat more if you're tipping your head back. Right, so we have, um, lip closure, Mm -hmm. in quotes, um, preventing anterior loss. We have bolus formation and mastication. And we have um, lingual propulsion. But that's not part of the preparation. It's not part of the preparation. I'm just going through some of the different components that we would touch upon as speech pathologists in evaluating the oral phase. Right, but we're, we're, the oral phase is different from the oral prep. So let's make sure you and I are on the same uh, phase. Okay, we're talking yeah, about oral so, prep. So okay. we're just talking about oral prep. We're not mm-hmm. talking about the oral phase, which is lingual gotcha, propulsion gotcha. Yeah, yep. or base of tongue retract. This is, yep. let's make sure I'm ready to propel we're getting, this back. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this is the part where you give somebody a bolus and people comment on things like duration how long it was, you know, prolonged oral formation or poor oral formation, right? Mm-hmm. So overall, I would argue, if you have a saltine cracker, right, mm-hmm. it's going to be longer and probably should be longer than a sip of water because right. the water's ready to go. And generally, people don't want to just have water hanging around in their mouth for 10 seconds. But the, the cracker is not ready to go. It requires something. It requires mixing saliva with the bolus. It requires rotary movement of the jaw 
right yep. to grind this to grind it it requires your cheeks your buccinators to actually be closer to your teeth to prevent the food from actually entering the lateral sulci although not everything we eat that happens perfectly if you have something that has tiny grains like maybe if you're chewing peanuts or a carrot sticks you're going to have to use your tongue to lingual sweep that out sometimes whereas right. pudding you generally don't have a lot of stuff in the lateral sulci right yep. um and so all of those things go together for mastication again generally lip closure mm-hmm. some people kind of have their mouth a little bit open when they chew yep you have to have your tongue which is pushes the food onto <coughs> between the teeth they then grind in a lateral way and then you keep your cheeks tight to keep the food from going out and then that food gets pushed back into the middle and that repeats over and over again mm-hmm. tongue gets gathers the food pushes back between the teeth the teeth you uh elevate your jaw you push it back to the middle again over and over again and people often do have a preferential chewing side not everybody does people go back and forth but i know i like to chew on the right side more than left it's why my dentist keeps saying it's much more worn down on the right than the left right the issue really for me is with people not understanding what muscles do what right Mm -hmm. and which cranial nerves we're assessing so maybe we should sort of walk through those Mm -hmm. for lip closure and by the way it's lip closure it's not lip seal like if anything comes through well you didn't seal the crap out of ziploc style your lips right sensory is often forgotten there but we're talking about orbicularis oris Mm -hmm. right and we're talking about cranial nerve seven for motor yep and i think that you know, uh, uh, another aspect of this I just want to add is as we're talking about these normal components is to really think about what you do normally and what people do normally that a lot of times these events do take a little while. It takes a little while to chew something dry. And a lot of times what I see is a confirmation bias and not understanding normal and evaluating some of these oral components. And it's setting patients up for failure where you maybe expect that some of these oral prep behaviors are going to take a while. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for it and you say, oh, wow, this is taking them a long time to chew. Maybe we shouldn't allow them to have solid foods and they need more of a puree, mechanical soft. But can I get on that for a second? I have two things, two gripes. One is let's look at dentition. Maybe it makes sense for them. Maybe it's true that they might prefer softer foods, but let's find out from them. Maybe some people are like, you know what, I love apples. And I don't mind if it takes me twice as long to get this healthy, fibrous, delicious bit of food in my mouth. Um, And I'm not at risk for obstruction because I'm not going to chew it up properly. Maybe it takes me longer to get it to a place where it's safe. But I want to take my time and do it. So there's that. Yep. The other issue is that it's also possible that, like you said, people don't actually realize how long they take to chew things. Right. They don't actually time themselves when they chew something. And... Everybody has a different everybody has a different sort of approach, right? Well, I guess the question is, and I have this debate a lot, is does it at the end of the day does it matter if a patient can get the bolus mm-hmm. to the to a consistency that's appropriate to be swallowed? Yeah. Does it matter how long it took them to get there? Also, is it true that a solid food is any different from a mechanical soft by the time the chewing's been exactly. done, right? So my thing is this, if a graham cracker is being chewed up and someone has sufficient saliva and knows how to break it down properly such that it ends up being just like oatmeal anyway, right? it doesn't matter how it went in their mouth, it ha- matters how it's 
appears with its consistency when it's about to be swallowed. So unless you're having somebody spit the food out just before they swallow and say, before you swallow, right. I want you to spit it out so I can evaluate the consistency of it. You don't know what it was like when it went down. So that prolonged chewing is actually probably helpful. And you're saying, I'm going to cut off that compensatory mechanism you have that's functional because it took you too long. Yeah. Right? I just, this is like a soapbox soapbox comment for me. I think there's an epidemic in this country on modifying people's ability to eat solid foods. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of prescribed diets for mechanical soft, puree, modifying the consistency before the patient is atrocious and I read things about the oral phase that you know a patient had prolonged mastication and poor bolus formation and they don't say how long they don't say it's prolonged because the normal range is this and they were this amount well how do you know anything about what's actually going on in their mouth right you don't know right um the other thing I want to point out is this concept of a swallow threshold and studies have shown Mm -hmm. that there's differences in terms of swallow threshold what that means is it's the amount it's the consistency of the bolus when someone determines okay now it's time to swallow it it's 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 cohesive it's lubricated enough but it's not so lubricated and if i recall the studies it was a study where they had like people have gram uh, bran flakes something pretty dry and they had them spit it out just before they would swallow these are people who are food scientists and they know how (laughs) to measure um the line spread of these foods etc and if you tell them to spit it out at various times or say no i don't care where you are in the process swallow now people will hesitate if it's either too early meaning it's not cohesive enough it's i haven't really chewed it up properly yet or if it's been in there too long meaning now it's kind of like I really want to spit this out. It's so gross. There's too much saliva. It's now runny. So everyone has a swallow threshold. And we know that there are some people who inhaled their food basically virtually not chewed up. That's you. I do not chew my food. Right. And then there are other people who, like my mom, take a long time to chew her food because she wants every little thing perfectly chewed, right? Right. So there's normal variable. There's probably a massive range in terms of what people feel is comfortable. And at the end of the day, if your patient is maintaining their health, they're maintaining their quality of life, they're not having issues where they are um, at risk for, you know, asphyxiation because there's a big honking piece of meat they haven't chewed up, which, by the way, that requires sensory as much as motor, (laughs) then perhaps we are doing a disservice by taking away fibrous foods that is necessary for their health, right? And you have to be pretty far on that spectrum of not even recognizing that a bolus is in your mouth to get to that point where I'm going to really be modifying. It just really drives me nuts when people are... You know, it reminds me of when babies only have two front teeth and they pick up an almond, you like snatch it from them. You're like, <laughs> that's justified because you ain't right. got nothing in place, sweetie. I mean, you're juicy. Your mouth is re- was plenty juicy because you're spitting all over the place. But right. those four little rice grains you have in your mouth right now, they're not going to chew up this big right. almond. And you know that's going down whole. Yeah. Right. But when it comes to patients who have some grinding surface yep. and have been functioning pretty well, you've been asking what they're eating. We shouldn't be swiping food away. Right. right. Okay, so we talked about the movement-related things. We talked about the lips. Let's talk about the The tongue. tongue. Motor to the tongue, we have four intrinsic muscles, four extrinsic muscles. Mm -hmm. The intrinsic muscles are responsible for modifying the, the... the shape of the body of the tongue, the extrinsic muscles are responsible for moving the body of the tongue as a whole. Right. They're all, all innervated by cranial nerve 12, <laughs> except for one palatal glossus, which is mm-hmm. cranial, which is parental plexus. Yep. And um, overall, they work in concert to make sure your jaw, your um, tongue relative to your jaw is exactly where it should be. It's sort of keeping track of the bolus. Yep. Um, and the t- it's, keeping, it's keeping the bolus in the right position, right? Correct. 
But the other thing that we often forget is people will look at the jaw, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, the jaw is actually the thing you can see. Yep. And people measure strength. They measure, you know, resistance. They measure every, all those other things. And they completely ignore whether or not they have sort of a rotary movement. Right. And those kinds of things, which is what's needed for actual mastication, right? Yeah. So, and of course, many of those um, master muscles... Uh, those jaw muscles are cranial nerve fibers. So here's what I think is really interesting, is when you learn about uh, bedside swallow evaluations, one of the biggest aspects of a bedside swallow that you learn and that you watch people do is a cranial nerve exam uh-huh. or an oral mech exam. Yeah. And you see them go through, open up your mouth. Okay, don't let me close your jaw. Yeah. Okay, close your jaw, don't let me open it. Okay, push your tongue in the inside of your mm-hmm, cheek. Mm-hmm. And people are doing these things. And I just, you know, always look at this and I wonder to myself what is that information telling you about the actual swallow not the swallow about the actual mastication about world prep right that's what it's supposed to be yeah sometimes I think as speech pathologists we just go through this motion of Mm -hmm. doing this cranial nerve exam it does and the thing is I don't mind if it doesn't as long as you're not commenting on bolus formation based on the fact that they couldn't take their tongue and stick it out beyond their teeth, which un- right. under what circumstance do speech pathologists ever want someone to extend their tongue way exactly. beyond their teeth? Not for speech, not for swallowing. Exactly. So why if you measure that to just to get a sense of do they have good volitional control of their tongue over something you can actually see, that's mm-hmm. fine. But you can't then extrapolate that onto bolus formation because bolus formation does not require you to take your tongue and stick it straight out toward a tongue depressor. Right. Or push on the inside of your cheek as hard as you possibly can. Exactly. Exactly. No, without question, a lot of those things aren't exactly what's what's meant to happen. But sounds like we agree that if we're looking at three major components, we're looking at the jaw movement, we're Mm -hmm. looking at lingual movement, and we're looking at labial function or movement as well. Correct. Right? Yep. So sensory gets a whole lot more attention. Yes. Right? Because but it does. You say it gets more attention. No, I mean, it. It's, sensory gets more attention because there's more that we haven't talked about, structures we haven't talked about that are more oh. related to sensation in our conversation than motor. But you're right. I know what you're going to say. No! You're still, say, 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 say. <laughs> but it gets no love it gets in no love. Like the bedside evaluation. We you know, just don't even address it. Do you know it. why? Do you know why? No. Enlightening. Speech pathologists don't know, and I think we need to have a podcast about this, about psychophysics. Okay. About sensation versus perception. Yep. So what is sensation? Sensation is basically different from perception. What we're measuring is someone, what they can tell us they felt. Right. That's not sensation necessarily. People can say they felt stuff that never happened to them, <coughs> right? Right. What's an example of that? If you're outside and it's hot and sweaty, swampy, and someone starts slapping themselves over a mosquito... You start slapping yourself too when there maybe wasn't even mosquito right. on you because now you're so heightened yes. that you might now get a I bite itch everywhere. Exactly. Of, uh. But does that mean you didn't feel it? No. Was there actually something there? No. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So sensation are basically the signals, the signals that send information within your body. We're right. not measuring that. We're not actually like if you do auditory brainstem responses in infants, for sure, they're measuring that information yeah. about what signal went in. But we're not, we don't expect, we have to do that with babies because we can't get them to say, yep, I felt that or no, I didn't feel that for newborns. We can't get that information. But psychophysics requires somebody to describe what they felt. And we often don't get any training on how to do that. However, you know who's really great at it? Audiologists. Yeah. You know why? There's no other way to know what somebody heard other than for them to respond in some way. Again, except for sort of your brainstem testing in infants. Right. 
So that same training never translated to the uh, bedside swallow evaluation because we just want to see what moved, even though we can't see anything that moved. Right. But wouldn't you argue that when it comes to the oral phase, it's really the sensory aspect that is the most important part of what we should be evaluating? Absolutely. And maybe we should talk a little bit about how sensory information gets used in the pharyngeal swallow because I think that's really important. Absolutely. Um, so essentially, some our studies and other people's studies have shown that you don't need the oral phase to elicit a swallow. No. You can deliver a bolus right into the piriform, uh, piriform sinuses, and you can get a swallow that looks very, very similar to one that was initiated <coughs> volitionally from the oral cavity. However, when you start to say how is that swallow optimized across differing, different bolus types, that's when the oral cavity wins out. Right. The oral cavity's job is to say, guess what, pharynx, what's about to come down the pike mm-hmm. are, um, corn, is corn that I chewed up. So, it, you know, I tried to get it as cohesive as possible. It's going to be a little lumpy. It's going to be big, though, so you really need to clean this, get this all the mm-hmm. way through clean so we don't have kernels all over the place. Right. As opposed to what's coming down is applesauce. It's pretty cohesive already. It's very cold. You might want to program mm-hmm. this kind of swallow. Right. So it's basically saying, if you think about um, something like the do- the sliding doors, for instance, for people coming through a yeah. mall, right? Yep. If it's a big troop of... of um, uh, tourists all coming through the sliding doors, the sliding doors keep seeing people coming through so it doesn't chop the group in half. Right. If it's one person, it opens and closes right away, but it's before you get there yep. and while you're going through that that information is happening. So it's not just during the swallow, but hopefully before you get to the sliding door and bang your head on it, right. the sensor already saw you and said, okay, open it in time for this person. Yeah. And then, oh, it's still coming, keep coming through. Well, right? it, it's, gathering that information is so important because, I mean, imagine... Hussein Bolt running full-fledged at a sliding glass door, right? The sliding glass door doesn't know how fast it's coming, and he's going to run into the door, right? We're lucky that we have an oral phase that's very sensitive to what information is in the oral cavity, Mm -hmm. so it can program exactly what the properties are in the bolus. But here's what I would say. I would also say the oral phase is probably just a confirmation station. Not the oral phase. The oral cavity is Mm -hmm. probably just a confirmation station, meaning if I pick up meatballs and put it in my mouth, when it comes to my mouth, my oral cavity is only confirming what I saw. It's not going, I was expecting corn niblets because that's not what I saw. So do you so, think the information in the brain is already, that information is already, already being programmed for the pharyngeal swallow before it even enters your mouth? Of course, of course. I mean, that's that's yep. the beauty of, of everything, that of our whole so system. So basically, the tongue and the oral cavity is, is the way station. It, it is saw, a station. It saw the tractor trailer or it's a confirmation coming. station. It, right. But it's it's more important when the bolus needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. When the bolus is, doesn't need to be changed, like with water, it's just saying, yep, this is how much and this is how I'm going to piecemeal it or I'm not going to piecemeal it or oh, it flew, flowed in much yeah. more quickly. It's still liquid, though, right? But if you have something like a meatball and maybe you know it's a meatball, so you know your plan is to break it down and not swallow it whole. Your plan is going to say yeah. the same. The extent to which you need to break it down varies as the oral processing is happening. And, you know, you you just think about times that, imagine, you know, going off the meatball, imagine a meatball you put in your mouth that looks like a meatball, you expect it to be that consistency all the way throughout, but it's really just a thin layer on the outside, the inside is completely liquid full. Yeah. That feeling when you bite in, you're probably going to bite your tongue because Mm -hmm. your program is going to be so wrong for what you thought was going to happen. But it's almost, you know, luckily we have that that period before the pharynx because if it was heading into the pharynx before 
if we could gather that information in the oral cavity, mm-hmm. we would probably have a lot more healthy people choking and aspirating. Right. And- well, here's the thing that we always have to remember, and that is that the oral cavity is horizontal for a reason. Mm-hmm. It allows us time to process the bolus. Yep. And the pharynx is gra- is vertical, meaning the oral cavity's job is very important to ensure that, hey, when I push this thing over the cliff, I want to give it as much information about what's coming down there. So it's not just gravity doing it. It's actually the, the, the pharynx helping to guide that bolus in the presence of ga- gravity, right. which is actually not necessarily your friend all the time. If it right. just goes, the bolus goes tumbling down all willy-nilly how it how it wants to, yeah. right? So the idea here is the oral cavity's job in terms of sensation is to, one, one confirm that what you put in your mouth is actually what was in there. Mm-hmm. Know when it's time to swallow. And this, okay, yeah, this bolus is ready to go. Keep track of the bolus and not chew the crap out of your tongue, right? right? Chew the food, not your tongue. <laughs> That's the goal of the oral cavity, right? right? And to, to pattern a swallow then that... that accommodates that bolus so it's going to optimize the swallow it's not necessary for a swallow but it's going to optimize the swallow which is why a lot of times when people have issues with the swallow they really should be checking the oral cavity who set the plan in the first place if you have a misprogrammed swallow maybe we didn't check the oral cavity properly like where did this go wrong right right so if you have somebody who's sort of um, separating out packages for different areas and they start mixing it up people down the line at some point be like why are you guys sending us these wrong things <laughs> so you go to the people who's actually separating out the packages in the first place down in, right. in some factory right because um, you're getting the wrong stuff yeah. right so we you don't need just to go, keep looking at the pa- oh wrong package wrong, wrong package, package wrong package and just keep doing the wrong thing with it yeah. right okay good so um, when we talk about sensation one thing that I think often happens is we forget about all of the cranial nerves that are involved, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, we're talking about the if we're talking about the lips for labial seal, people think that just because there's anything leaking out of the lips, it's because their lips weren't sealed enough. It could very well be that they didn't feel it in the first place. And I would argue it's probably more of that situation than a true motor impairment. It probably is because, again, you, what most people do is they sort of tilt their head back and they mm-hmm. seal their lips enough, but it's not so tight like it's purse strings, right? Right. So that's one thing to remember. So it could be trigeminal. Mm-hmm. And which branches we're talking about? We have an upper lip and a lower lip. The mm-hmm. upper lip's going to be maxillary branch. The yep. lower lip's going to be mandibular branch. So you are differentially diagnosing the trigeminal nerve by testing the upper lip and the, and the lower, lower lip. lip. Okay. Yep. We go into the oral cavity. The hard palate is going to be the maxillary branch mm-hmm. of the trigeminal nerve. And the tongue and everything in the mandibular region is going to be the mandibular branch. So the beautiful part about the oral cavity is you can have an issue with one and not the other. And until a speech pathologist goes and tests everything, we don't know. Right. So with the hard, cal- <coughs> with the hard, cap- uh, with the hard palate, it is so essential and so not tested. It is a sounding board for the tongue. It really it's is. It's how we know where our tongue is in space a lot of time and how we know where the bolus is. It's not just a fixed structure so the tongue can push a bolus against it to actually propel the bolus back. It's also keeping track of where the tongue is yep. and where the bolus is. And so testing along the whole hard palate is really, really important. Yep. And as we get to move more towards talking about bolus transport, that piece of knowing where your tongue is in space is Mm -hmm. hugely important Mm -hmm. proprioception we don't it's not research we don't talk about it a lot in Mm -hmm. dysphagia management but um it's it's crucial for adequately transporting any food or liquid towards the pharynx right 
Um, the tongue is special because mm -hmm. it has two kinds of sensation. Um, but before we get there, let's just quickly do the soft palate. Um, a lot of times people think that if they have the person say, uh, 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 and they see the, the vela moves and that'll tell them everything they need to know about alveolar elevation during a swallow, not necessarily, right? right? Um, just because it moved during speech, it doesn't mean the central pattern generator in the brainstem responsible for patterning a swallow will function similarly. Right. But when we talk about the soft palate, the actual soft palate, sort of the middle part that we actually are looking for and poking at, that's gonna be cranial nerve five, just like the hard palate, mm -hmm. but the fascial arches are glossopharyngeal, cranial nerve nine. Right. So, and the studies from the early 1900s, 1928, suggest that those are the fascial arches are a bit more sensitive to initiating a swallow than the soft palate. Right. So again, differential diagnosis, even at the level of the oral cavity for swallow initiation, not that the bolus, not the bol not that the swallow has to be triggered in the oral cavity, but if the glossopharyngeal nerve, which is also innervating the back of the tongue for both taste and general sensation, like touch, pressure, yep. vibration, is really important, that whole area is critical perhaps for initiating a swallow more so than five because you don't want to force a swallow because someone put something at the front of your mouth. Right. Right? How do we not trigger a swallow when we put something at the front of our mouth? Right. But as it starts to creep back, even if it cre creeps back and we weren't ready for it, sometimes it triggers a swallow we weren't ready for because it's, it's too dangerous now. And it's not, you know, it's not just a one point area where the swallow exactly. is triggered. It's a general area. There's a lot of, um, you know, nerves and, and fibers being innervated in the posterior oral cavity that it may be different for different boluses right. and different consistencies and right. then there's the um you know cognitive aspect right. that plays a role as well that we can also inhibit that reflex to a certain extent mm -hmm. um but going off of um velar elevation too it's important to remember that it's not just about elevation there's a tensing that occurs as mm -hmm. the velum is elevating and that's really critical for creating that um, good velopharyngeal seal mm -hmm. with the posterior pharynx that, um, you know, helps to generate pressure and um, avoid nasal regurgitation as well. And those yeah. are two different cranial nerves that are right. innervating the, the velum. So. Right. so for oral preparation, sensation is critical to know where the bolus is in, in your mouth, where the mm -hmm. tongue is in your mouth, know where your jaw is relative to your tongue so you're not chewing it up. And so far we've identified Cranial five, two uh, cranial nerve five, two yep. branches, mandibular and maxillary. Yep. Cranial nerve nine for the back of the tongue for both taste, which is a special sense, and yep. general, which is a meaning touch, pressure, vibration. It's general because it's all over your body. Special means there's a there's a receptor dedicated to that, meaning you have taste buds that are designed to take in um, chemicals, mm -hmm. which is in our food or whatever we're, we have in our mouth. So for chemo chemo um, receptors, and the that's the posterior one-third of the tongue. The anterior two-thirds of the tongue is innervated differently. For general sensation, is cranial nerve five. Yep. For taste, is cranial nerve seven. And a lot of people don't think about whether they see someone maybe with a what look, might look like Bell's palsy, and they never think, you know, let's just check seven on the front of the tongue. Do you taste that? You know, mm -hmm. to what extent do we have some of these issues <coughs> with cranial right. nerve seven? So we now have, have we mentioned one, two, three different cranial nerves within the oral cavity just for sensation yeah right and what i think is so fascinating about that is it really to me speaks to the importance of sensation in the oral cavity mm -hmm. that it is innervated by um the sensory has so many um is Fail innervated saves. by so many nerves right yeah it's a beautiful image if you look at the brain stem too 
when you're looking at the nuclei where these cranial nerves are ascending into the brainstem, mm-hmm. the, the cranial nerve nuclei that house these, these nerves takes they're the it's the largest region in the brain yeah. so it's in the ponds huge and by the, the way ponds. yeah so the five and seven are located in the ponds and that sensory reception that you're talking about mm-hmm. it's the biggest sensory yeah and so that but that tells you all all how of the much things, information exactly and that's why two-point discrimination and all those ways to test and we'll talk more about this later on and how to test sensation mm-hmm. in their oral cavity is just too big for us to tackle we just yep. want to get people to be thinking about what they can and can't do at the bedside and what yep. we can do is test sensation that's what it's for exactly. that is what the bedside eval is for it's not about saying things that lingual things that you can't see that mm-hmm. you're only inferring because here's what i do you want to say something before i say this nope, here's what i always ask people what can you definitely say definitely say when you put a patient puts a bolus in their mouth let's say it's applesauce they spend some time with it then they swallow you think they swallow let's say Mm -hmm. they did swallow and then you open up and half of it's still there sort of all over their tongue it's in their lateral salsi what do you definitely know when you've seen that that there is bolus in the oral cavity you definitely know that there's (laughs) stuff left over that's all you know yeah you don't know why you don't know sensory how. Mo- you can't it even could, de- decide if it's no, sensory You know what? You didn't see what happened. It's There was a black box period there. Right. You saw it go in. They did something. You open back up and some was left over. Yep. That's what you definitely know. Can you infer things based on your sensory testing, which you just, before you gave them a bolus, you tested and they couldn't really feel much on their tongue. Of course, they can't feel the applesauce yep. now. If you poke them with a tongue depressor, they didn't feel that. That little bit of residue of the, the applesauce, they probably also don't feel. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean they were too weak to push it back which is what everybody's jumping to, right. lingual weakness. They didn't have the strength to push it yeah. back. How much strength does it take to push applesauce? It's probably more coordination than anything else if we're right. doing motor, but we don't see that. If you look at a 20-pound dumbbell and you try to lift it up like it's a 5-pound dumbbell every single time, it's not that you can't lift it like it's a 20. It's that you're approaching. You're not with, getting the right information. Exactly. You're approaching it in the wrong way. And, that's, and so let me see if I understand what you're saying. You're mm-hmm. saying... Because the oral cavity might serve as a way station to know, how do I treat this bolus? Mm -hmm. It's not that they didn't treat it properly because they couldn't. It's because they didn't have the right information to know this requires more strength. So they may have been treating peanut peanut butter like applesauce right applesauce does require some <coughs> more force than maybe water but it requires less force than peanut, peanut butter. butter and if exactly. they weren't rec- if sort of registering the viscosity of a thick mm-hmm. peanut butter and it, and they were knowing it was something that needed to be pushed back maybe they just didn't generate enough force yep. because they didn't know and this is the beauty of the oral cavity. It's that image I have where you have a bunch of boxes and you don't know if they have, if they have cotton balls, bowling balls, or wrecking balls in them. Seeing that label on the outside of that cardboard box lets you know how you need to position yourself yeah. to lift it. But if you say lift these three boxes, you might lift one with too much force. It's going to fly over your head because that's one of the cotton balls. But there's no pre-information yeah, because there's no sensory information before you touch it. And I mean... I- It's interesting me now having a six-month-old who's just started solid foods and watching him learn what the boxes are, right? Like how to deal with each box. So starting him out, he doesn't know. He's he's programming that right now. And that's something that we learn at a very young age. It's something that we take for granted and we don't think about. Because that's how it should be. Right. If we had to, if if right now, 
Hudson had to use all of his brain just to figure out how the heck do I manage this spoonful of peas? Yeah. I just need everything to do it. I mean, we actually wouldn't have any space left for walking, for right. pin, you know, for gripping things. We just wouldn't have space for it. So the be beauty of this is a lot of our motor programming to know how to manipulate different boluses happens so early that we just have these finite motor yeah. programs sitting in our head just to pull out as we the need infinite. them. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> and then you have a stroke and now you have 50% of them. Yeah. And now you don't know how to manipulate peas <coughs> differently from water. Right. And that is the hallmark of dysphagia. Yeah. But that's all at the level of sensation to some degree. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know where in the sensory motor integration loop that this problem is, assuming there's not dementia where they don't even know that it's peas in the first right. place. Right. right. Um, so can, can we get to, because then we have to close. Yeah. Can we get to our pet peeve, which I think we share. Which one? Okay. The well, the I one, the one. Okay, let me. Okay, let me tell you the one that I really hate. I really hate it when people. And I'm not saying I didn't do this when I wasn't aware enough. I hate it when people comment on lingual function at the bedside because mm -hmm. I don't think you can do it. I don't like it when people comment on lingual function with fees because I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can use fees for oral preparation at all. No. Although I've heard of people trying to do that, and I don't think you can infer much more at the bedside other than when you opened up something was there. I'm sure there are extreme situations where someone's just not moving their mouth at all. They're just sitting there and it's draining out and you're yeah. like, does they do they recognize there's food in their mouth? Right, right. That's a little different. But again, residue does is not an indication of anything other than that there's residue. Right. And we have this thing that we've been told at the bedside is for oral. It's true. It's the best for oral in certain circumstances, but I still learn more when I match the floral with the or with the bedside to right. me it's the combination of the two that gives me the most information mm -hmm. i think the you know my biggest pet peeve is um premature spillage and not recognizing that if somebody has premature spillage as it relates to an impairment right like so they we're act, saying, it's actually a, an oral impairment it's actually an oh. oral impairment we know that normal people can premature spill if anyone's eat cereal with milk then you've probably had mm -hmm. premature spillage mm -hmm. and that's a that's normal, normal thing mm -hmm. but in the case of an impairment that premature spillage is an oral yeah. deficit yes that's a big one to mention it's an oral deficit it is very different than somebody that has a delayed mm -hmm. swallow trigger delayed mm -hmm. swallow initiation mm -hmm. and when you can and cannot discern and discriminate when it is actually premature spillage versus delayed onset you definitely cannot decide that at the bedside. I mean, Absolutely that's just not, not because even... Because you don't know like, where the bolus is. You don't even... Like, we can't even go there. I mean, like, I've heard people say they can tell when there's premature spillage on the bedside. Are you no. hearing waterfalls? Is there Niagara Falls just happening over your epiglottis right now? I, I know. Like, I, what I, is happening? I hate that we even have to have this conversation right now, but, like, <laughs> I, I have heard a lot of people with their cervical auscultation say that they can hear oh, yeah. premature spillage, and I just... I just... I don't know how what else to say other than that's bananas. It reminds and I me of Sixth on. Sense, the movie <laughs> I See Dead. Yeah, but what's interesting is is when you talk about um, fees and fluoro. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, even fluoro, it can be difficult. Oh, for sure. To discriminate because you have to look for the volitional propulsion of the tongue. Yes. Wait, wait. Let's just make sure the, that the, we stick with what premature spillage is, and when we get yep. to the podcast on trigger, we can bring that up too. Yep. Just to be clear, the idea is it's the bolus has entered the pharynx 
prematurely relative to the volitional lingual propulsion to get it there. However, there are circumstances where it's been documented in the literature back in the 90s by Hebe, Palmer, etc. in the late 90s that this phenomenon called molecular aggregation, which healthy people do. That means if you have something thick like um, peanut butter or or bread, Mm -hmm. as you chew and it becomes swallowable, you start to gradually volitionally pack it into your molecular as you continue to chew. So that's one thing that happens. They start to pack it back. The other thing is if you have a mixed consistency, meaning cereal, you have cornflakes and you have milk. Well, you and most people will allow the thin liquid to fill and pool their piriform while they chew the yes. part that's not yet swallowable. These are circumstances in healthy people where this where premature spillage makes total sense, meaning the bolus is in the pharynx before the volitional propulsion. However, there are boluses like maybe you take a cupful of liquid. Generally, you don't just let that drain back there. It's sitting in your piriform right. forever and then you propel it back. So that's why it's an oral issue. One is your sensory system is supposed to say, hey, this is the kind of thing I do this with. Again, we're talking about your son, Hudson, and the motor programming to treat one differently from the other is set then. Mm-hmm. So those changes can happen with disease or disorder, right. knowing now I'm treating everything like uh, a thin, like a mixed consistency. Actually, I probably should propel it back and be prepared right. to swallow earlier. So in a fluoro, you need to really pay attention to what the tongue is doing mm-hmm. and that whether or not it is trying to volitionally propel that bolus back. And, and the easiest way to do this is to tell the person to hold the bolus in their mouth. Yeah. Some people cannot do it. Yeah. And you look for that po- the posterior tongue that they're creating a nice seal to prevent any bolus from escaping. And that's a a good way to be able to discern but it's really looking again like I, I I just this conversation comes up so much that I just have to hammer it is that that is very different than somebody who is volitionally attempting to propel the bolus their tongue is moving posteriorly and the swallow initiation is not occurring yeah that is yeah. a different yeah. pathophysiology and you can get it neither at the bedside but even in floral, the key, as you said, is you have to be keen on did the bolus get in yes. before or after lingual propulsion, and is it a bolus where it makes sense for that to be the case? Exactly. Now, with fees, yeah. what I hear people tell me about premature spillage mm-hmm. is that the way that they differentially diagnose premature spillage is having a patient hold the bolus in their mouth, cueing them to hold it in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And if they see the bolus, um, you know, cascading into the vollecula around the Mm -hmm. epiglottis Mm -hmm. during that time, that that is premature spillage. That's not premature spillage necessarily. (laughs) That, That just means that that volitional task didn't happen. Right. We don't know what would have happened in a swallow. We just know that when they go to hold it, in that task, they see the bolus actually cascading into the pharynx, but we also don't know where their tongue is, right? We don't know if, it's, if, they, if their tongue isn't up or down. We can't, we can't measure the bolus relative to tongue position in this situation to know, okay, let's say it is. Let's say their tongue cannot, it doesn't have the range of motion to go up to their, to their soft palate. Let's say just they, they're not mm-hmm. moving it up there. We only can can um, evaluate the bolus relative to tongue position when we see both the bolus relative to the tongue position. Yeah. So it could very well be that they don't have the capacity, but we can only infer that, well, we definitely know we told them to do it and stuff is falling in. We right. don't know why. Right. Because we can't see the tongue. And that's what's hard about fees is that you 
don't have any information about what the high weight is doing or the tongue. Mm-hmm. So so we have to use white out as swallow initiation, mm-hmm. right? Okay. But, but we don't still, actually know. You don't know if it's premature spillage sure. or if it is a delayed swallow. Because the tongue is the, the delineator between, yeah, I pushed this back, right. but nothing happened. Right. Or I didn't mean for that to get back there because I hadn't tried to push it back mm-hmm. yet. You can make, you can infer better based on how you as the clinician control the the situation by cueing and asking sure. them to hold the bolus and you can get better information. You just can't confirm it by looking at the oral cavity relative to your cue. Right. Okay. Is it way, way, way better than the bedside? Absolutely. But it's not a measure of the oral face. What is better than knowing about w- knowing whether the bolus has entered the face? Oh, okay, sure. Yes. I was gonna I was going to make the argument that if we're talking about the oral phase, sure, no, neither, no. Ne- neither, neither of them are good. In fact, I would argue the oral, the bedside is better, because you can yes. actually, I mean, you're not staring in their pharynx. I don't when understand you want to how anybody at. with fees comments on oral phase at all. I mean, I've seen it and I don't agree with it. I just don't. I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what they're understand. commenting on necessarily. <laughs> um, it's like commenting on secretions with fluoro. I mean. Mm-hmm. You can probably see how the barium is hung up in bubbles if you're right. lucky enough, but mm-hmm. that's not the way to do it. Fees is the way to do it. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be giving a lot of shout-outs to Fees, a lot of shout-outs to Flora, a lot of shout-outs to the bedside for different And we're also going to be doing shoot-downs to each of them, depending exactly. on what they're meant to do and what they're not meant to do. Yeah. But I think we kind of really did a nice summary and mm-hmm. overview of oral prep. Yep. Um, and I think uh, one big issue is that we need to take each event on its own. Mm-hmm. We will eventually, when we get all these together, integrate them. And our goal is yep. to have at some point some videos for this. Um, but any closing remarks about oral prep? <laughs> I'm hungry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now I want meatballs and spaghetti. I know. No. Um, closing remarks about oral prep. I, I think that we've hit a couple of main themes. One is the importance of sensory integration. And the other importance of not saying you saw what the tongue was doing when you can't see it. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, you know you're commenting on the tongue at the bedside that you mm-hmm. did not see. During a swallow. I'm not talking about during non-swallow tasks. But yep. you cannot extrapolate or map that on to what a swallow would be. You have to see the swallow. Right. And to really think about the next time that you do your cranial nerve exam on your next patient and their bedside swallowing evaluation. That's right. Really think about what you're evaluating. Yeah. Or are you just going through the motions exactly. to say... Cranial nerve, you know, oh, lips intact, tongue intact, jaw intact. What does that even mean, intact? Right. Intact what? Tell me the physiology. You're a speech pathologist. Mm -hmm. Give me the pathology if it's there. Right. Done. Done. Boom. Done, done, done. We got, like, serious in this We kind of, we really really did get excited about this. Just wait till we get, though, to the, I mean, the oral phase was um, important. It's the beginning. Uh, uh, You know, it's clearly the place to start in talking about physiology, but... Just stay tuned when we really start getting into some of the other mechanisms because we'll we'll fly off the rails. This is where we get really excited. Boy, you're already. I'm ready. Like, give me some UES and LVC. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not we got lots to talk about. <laughs>